0: This is the Engineering at Root podcast, a conversation series between two engineering peers at Root Insurance. Welcome to our first episode, where two of our team leaders discuss scaling an engineering team for growth. Hi,
1: everybody. I'm Jason Berwanger, uh, the technical program manager here at Root. And today we're going to be talking about scaling an organization for growth and how to preserve ownership, agility, and culture. And joining me is Mr. Bill Caper, who is our Vice President of Engineering, also happens to be my boss. Bill, you want to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, well, I think you just did. Yeah, I am Bill Caper, VP of Engineering here at Root. And thank you for having me, Jason.
1: Glad to have you. Um, So why don't you kick us off and talk to us maybe, um, you know, how you think about growth and related to engineering here at Root, and, you know, kind of what your thought process is, your philosophies, and and kick us off.
0: Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, For me, growth is really about, you know, three dimensions. It's Uh, I think the one that most people think about is around hiring, right? How do you actually physically grow an organization and uh, make it successful and and have the right people and and really scale it up? So that is certainly a a dimension of growth that I think all organizations need to think about. Uh, And then with that then becomes how do you, once you have those great people enroll, how do you give them the autonomy and the empowerment to go and own the problems they're working on? Uh, without creating a bunch of bureaucracy uh, and we'll call it dumb process, but still enabling them to have the support they need to make those decisions well and uh, uh, to get the right perspective. And then uh, lastly, as I think about it, it's really around uh, as you have those great people, how do you develop them? How do you help, uh, you know, talent manage uh, the, that, that the, those individuals to uh, get the most out of themselves and also ultimately grow as leaders in the organization?
1: Got it. Makes perfect sense. So. I think taking it from the top, the hiring part makes a ton of sense. Let's talk about the people side and and maybe specifically, let's talk about when you look to hire people, how do how do we add you know kind of this diverse group of people here at Root and then how do you add people while also uh, looking to preserve the culture at the same time?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I mean, the uh, you, you called out actually the, the diverse tapestry and, and one of the things we really value and as we grow an organization is looking for uh, diversity of thought, diversity of, uh, the engineering team that we bring in, and, and the different walks of life they come from. Now, with that, there is a uh, something that I think is really important is aligning to culture. And for me, culture is really about shared values and beliefs as an organization. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm actually really proud about as a, as an organization is we we focus a lot on fairness, fairness for our customers, uh, and making sure we're using. Uh, the predictive power of telematics to uh, provide fair pricing for those customers. In in that level of fairness, there's there's things that sort of tease out uh, from it, right? You have uh, a sense of collaboration, right? Like part of you know the, the driving fairness in the in the insurance industry is about collaborating with the customer and getting good data from them. Uh, in order to price them appropriately, right? Price the risk, uh, and uh, with the with the engineering culture here at Root, we also have that same sort of collaboration in the sense that it's really an organization that's about. Um, you know, collaboration with one another about working on team goals together, uh, shared results. Uh, there's no sharp elbows. There's no uh, uh, you know uh, self or selfishness uh, or you know, meism. Uh, it's very much very selfless and, and about driving what's best for the organization, best for your team. Uh, and so for us, the very first thing is about making sure we're getting and talking to candidates that align to their shared values and beliefs, and then. Uh, and then it becomes a, a matter about how do you, how do you find those people and how do you speak to them, right? And and part of that's just being really honest. I mean, if I if I think back to when we brought you into the organization, Jason, like one of the things that I think is really important is making sure we're setting correct expectations up front about the role, about our culture, about how we operate. And that doesn't mean just the positive stuff. It also means like the honest stuff. And uh, when I think back about you joining the organization, you were our first uh, senior technical program manager, our first technical program manager of any kind. uh, And you are focusing on parts of our world that hadn't had a lot of engineering love up to that point. Like we had been great at building bespoke software uh, for, you know, software that's very customized and focused on our, our business problems. But things like our HR system and our finance system, those things that we buy off the shelf, we didn't, we didn't put a lot of engineering rigor into those. We, we sort of let those teams own those things themselves. And bringing you into the role was uh, a was new muscle for us as an organization. And one of the things you and I talked about was, hey, this is going to be new. Like, we're going to have to uh, make sure we're, we're building great relationships with the partners we're working with in finance in HR, uh, and that's going to take some time. Like they're not used to work with engineering either, and uh, I think it's that type of relationship is actually really that sort of expectation setting is really important because it, it allows uh, candidates understand both the tapestry of root and what how we operate in our shared values and beliefs, but also a really good sense of the role they're coming into and what to expect from that.
1: Yeah, and I think this makes total sense. And, and from my perspective, too, that, that made it a lot easier to join the organization because I felt like I got a, a true picture of what I was walking into and was able to make a great decision. And then I, I also felt compelled then to be on back and talk about, you know, what my objections, concerns, but also what I'm looking forward to, you know, what, what that might look like. Um,
0: and, you're, and you're still loving it now, right?
1: Still loving it now. <laughs> on the record officially. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you, you mentioned honesty. And so maybe let's dig a little, little bit deeper into that topic. So maybe talk about honesty and, and how do you how do you maintain that level of honesty? And, in, you know, what opportunities do you have there for us to improve? Um, and, and maybe how do you go about accurately reflecting, you know, this organization in that role? And, and what, what goes in, you know, kind of your mindset going into an interview?
0: Yeah, I mean I think I think when when I think about that for different roles we have whether it's a leadership role, uh, a technical program manager role like yourself, uh, a, a, an actual engineering role whether it's a, you know, mid-level engineer or senior engineer, it's really about um, what we expect of those individuals, right, and both the expectation around culture that we have here and how we operate, um, but then also the technical and we'll call them the hard skill, the functional skill, uh, things that we value out of our engineering team, like making great technical decisions, you know, strong judgment, um, you know, great design skills. When I say design, engineering design skills, um, you know, really strong coding skills and object-oriented uh, design and implementation. Um, and so like part of that is being honest up front, like literally uh, whether it's myself or our recruiting team, when we're talking to a candidate in that very first call, we lay out the process to them. And we make it very transparent about what that process looks like. It's very much a two-way street process. As much as we're interviewing and talking and getting to know candidates, they're interviewing us and talking to us and getting to know us, too. And so we make it very clear up front that here's how the process is gonna go. We, you know, We're gonna have one or two phone screens. Here's how the phone screens will work. We may do a work sample. If, if if that feels like right fit on both sides, we'll we'll have you in, and we want you know vice versa. If it's we want you to judge us and see if it's the right fit on your side, and if either one of us feels like it's not the right fit, we'll tell each other. I think that 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 initial sort of expectation setting and uh, level of honesty uh, about how this process goes sets the right expectation up front, and it also sets the. I think it sets the groundwork for the type of relationship we like to have with our employees here at Root is one that's very open, transparent, honest. Uh, and then when we get on the onsite, we do the same thing. We set the expectations of the candidate, what they're going to expect, both the day of the interview, who they're talking to, what we're looking to evaluate, why we're looking to evaluate it. Uh, and then ultimately, at the very end of that process, we talk about how we're going to come to a decision. Right? We're going we're to get the people from the interview back together, have a discussion, uh, and we'll close the loop with the candidate one way or the other at the end of that process. And we're always very transparent. like we As much as we can be about... Uh, with the decision we came to and and is why again as much as we can be Um, and and if it's not the right fit we tell the candidate same deal like evaluate us through that on-site process make sure it feels like the right fit to you if either of us don't feel it's the right fit we'll let the other know and if it is well hopefully we'll put an offer together that's really compelling to the the candidate to want to come and join us and for, for me, it's it's really about that. Like, if I think about that that, that expectation setting about how to how to speak to candidates, uh, it's really about creating that transparency throughout. And then talking about the role, right? Like, sometimes there's a difference. We talked about your role and some of the uni- uniquenesses with that role in the organization. And it's, and it's both about the positive stuff. Like, you know, I think when we talked about your role in the organization it was, hey, this has such a high impact if we can do it really well. Uh, it's... It's something our organization is really in need of, and we at the time, we couldn't figure out exactly the type of person or the role we wanted, but in my mind, I had an idea of what that person was, and we found, we found him in you, Jason. Uh, and in that, though, it was like somebody who could be really strong technically, who could uh, bridge the gap between business teams and technical teams, who could help... Uh, decompose what those business teams really wanted but maybe had trouble articulating, build those set set of requirements of uh, here's what they need and why they need it, uh, and then help bridge that back to engineering and, and ideate on solutions, right? And have somebody who could earn trust both on the engineering side, also on the business side, and then bring those things together. Like. It sounds great, and it sounds like oh yeah, everyone can do that. Well, that's actually a pretty unique set of skills. Yeah, and somebody who can build those relationships and build that level of trust and work well, even in contentious situations. And and then when we you know knowing what we were looking for in the role and how it would play out when we got that person here, explaining like here are going to be the pros and cons of this role. Here's going to be some of the areas where it's going to be maybe some tough sledding at first. Um, here's the upside, but here's also some of the challenges we'll run into while we're doing it. I think really helps set the expectations, because ultimately the worst thing to happen when you you bring somebody in and you're trying to hire for growth is to miss sell a role, right? Say it's, hey, this role is gonna be literally like running the whole company and then you get here and you're like, well, wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for, I really signed up for something a lot different. and, and, you know, that, that type of expectation setting, although in the short term may work just fine, in the long term actually then creates mismatch. And then it's, well, that's not what I wanted to do. And uh, I feel misled and I want to try to find something else. So it's really important, I think, to set those up front.
1: And again, that continues along with that theme of fairness that we talked about earlier and making sure that, you know, there's fair dialogue each way. Everybody's got a, the right understanding and, and they're coming into it from an honest position.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm curious, as you went through that process, how, how did it feel to you?
1: No, I, I felt that you you including some of the other folks that I talked to even on you know kind of the HR or the recruiting side were in- incredibly transparent in terms of you know kind of your guidance as to what the role was particularly with you from a business perspective, coming in and understanding the landscape and what I was gonna get into. And then even all the way through the hiring process when it came to the offer and, and discussing compensation, you know, all of the above was completely transparent, the most transparent I've ever had to the point where I felt like I kind of was already here and we were you know, jointly making a decision whether or not it made sense for me to continue to be here versus me deciding whether or not I should join the organization, which was a good feeling for me as a candidate.
0: Now, I mean, I, and it's funny you said that because like from my, my, when I look back on when I joined the organization, which uh, I interviewed in, in early Q4 of last year, and then joined uh, around December uh, last year. It was I was working with our CTO Dan Mangus. Uh, same sort of, same exact process where. Uh, talking about the role, talking about, you know, here's what this role is, is new for us, here's what we're trying to get out of it, um, here are the pros and cons, here are the things as an organization we may struggle with how to grow and we need your help on, here are the areas we may take us a while to figure out. Um, it made it so that it, it literally when I was ready to start and come on board, I felt like I was already on board in some respects, and I just couldn't wait to get going. Um, and I think that's, that's a really powerful thing. I mean, uh, you know, in my case, working with you, it was actually pretty easy because I was already doing some of that role myself, so I could really describe it well. There's been some times, though, where I, I haven't done a role at all. And I had to tell a candidate, like, I'm hiring for a role. Part of what I, I don't know is I don't know how well this role is. Part of what I'm hiring you for is help figure out the role. And your case was a little bit of both. Like, we I knew a lot of the role I was doing it firsthand. But I knew I had an idea where I wanted the role to go. But I think we even talked about, like, there's some of this role that we're going to leave undefined. and. You're going to help us define it, like and how we're going to use the technical program manager role type job family moving forward, even organizationally, and how we're going to think about it and all of that. Like, I think that's that level of transparency really helps when you're, you're looking for the right candidate because it, it it shares both value alignment. It also shares uh, interest alignment, right? I think Simon Sinek talks a lot about you know knowing your why and understanding your why and. Uh, and I think in that it's about like you know what, what's what's important to you and and why why are you motivated by certain things and that helps when you when you can have the, find that type of alignment with a candidate both on a candidate and a hiring manager uh, it makes some really interesting positive things happen I think.
1: Yeah, certainly. And and you guys definitely described some scenarios where there's ambiguity. And that was one of the things I was interested in to a degree was problems that, you know, needed to be, um, you know, disambiguated and and somebody to dive in because I wanted, you know, to a degree a fresh start, but not totally to where there was, there's some landscape and there's some architecture of the role, which is kind of exactly as you described. So yeah, I thought that was certainly an honest part of, of our interview process. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and I'm curious, like, so when I think back on my career, I, I've actually been pretty lucky. Where uh, the, most of the companies I've worked for, I was very aligned to in in different ways. And uh, but I can think back to at least one, and I, I, won't, I won't say which one it was, where uh, you know I wasn't very aligned to, wasn't aligned to it, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I realized it, you know, as I got into the role. And um, it, and I, when I think back, reflect on that personally, like that's not a, you know, it, it's a big life move when you make a jump to a new employer, and it's really building a relationship, right? Like it's yes, we're, there's a capitalistic sort of feel to any employer-employee relationship where, you know, you're working for, you know, you're contributing labor and intelligence and uh, innovation, right? And you're, you know, taking from that relationship pay for that performance. And uh, yet there's still an element of investment you make personally into those roles. And uh, like, I can remember very specifically uh, this, when this was a while ago in my career, like uh, I had a very wrong fit uh, in, in employer and it was just like, wow, like, you know, you make an investment, you want to see it through. And yet you get to this point where it's like, man, I really got to find the next thing, but I feel like I'm just not, it's only been a short period of time. Like I, it's, you know, I, mean, I want to give it more time. And it's almost like this time thing where you sort of feel like you're committed for a period of time, even though you don't, you realize it's not the right fit to begin with. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I've luck, been lucky on, like I look at my career as I haven't stumbled into too many of those those situations. Uh, I'm curious, have you ever had something similar when you've, uh, in your journeys, sh- shall we say?
1: Yeah. And uh, I, my approach was a little bit different, but I, I know the feeling you're talking about related to when y- you are somewhere where you don't feel like you belong, so to speak. And um, I, I felt like there, certainly there's a certain obligation. You go through the entire interview process and you get the offer and then you wait a couple of weeks for your old job and then, you know, you start your new job you know, fresh. And so there's a lot of those kind of emotions to overcome. But yeah, there there was uh, a part of my career in my second job, I was there for 65 days. Um, and, you know, I, Try to perform as best I could, but at the end of the day, I, I just I had that gnawing feeling that you know I wasn't at the right place and and it you know it wasn't working culturally for me and even the job wise there were things that you know I, I th- there's left something to be desired in terms of the problems just didn't seem as impactful as you know I wanted to be at that point in my career and so you know gave my notice and I, I didn't make it to day ninety and you know not proud of it but certainly I learned a lot from that experience and and uh, and, and I'm glad I made it through that not not for the sake of the employer. Um, I'm sure they didn't appreciate that and all the effort that goes into finding a good candidate. But I think at the end of the day, they probably find, you know, someone that chose them back as much as they chose the candidate, which certainly wasn't the case for me.
0: Yeah. And I, not, to, not to steal your role as interviewer, I guess, but uh, one more thing I'm just curious on. If I if I think back to that one in my career, like uh, the role was sold to me much differently than uh, than what it actually turned into. It was very much a sold as a thought leader role and, you know, huge influence, huge impact. Uh, and when I got to the role, I realized it was more of a coordination role, to be blunt. Um, and again, great company, I, I won't say the name, but like I, I made a lot of great relationships there. I was only there a short period of time, but it was awesome in terms of the people. But I could—I just knew it wasn't the right fit. Um, and I don't think anyone genuinely misled me on the role, but I think it was sold as you know not very well calibrated on the impact the role actually had and the way the role operated in the organization. And uh, I think that led to my expectations of what I could get from that role being misaligned to what the role really was. And some of it may have been myself too. I may have also overlooked a few sort of signals that I got through the process that were in hindsight would have indicated that maybe not the right alignment for me. Like I'm curious in your case, was it something similar or was it a different different uh, situation?
1: Yeah, I would say probably both. It, and there were things that were certainly similar about how you described it and things that were different. Um, my decision was in part, it was, you know, I got some coaching from uh, mentor of mine uh, from years back that basically said, you know, you want to be running to something, not away from something. And I think to a degree, you know, I had both of my motivations I, I, you know, kind of oversold to myself, you know. It wasn't as bad from where I was leaving, you know, initially but then where I was running wasn't exactly what I was looking for. And I think also, like you said, a combination of you know, maybe it wasn't purposely oversold, but you know, I was in a role where you know I expected to you know kind of get in technically and help drive some innovation, like you mentioned. And then within my you know first thirty days, they you know were going through a two-year system lockdown because they were doing some sort of an upgrade to where a lot of the business analytics and business intelligence development that I thought I would do to add value that was basically locked down, and and they weren't taking any new projects on for you know about an eighteen-month period. Yeah, and so I came in pretty disappointed, you know, hearing that, and wish I would have you know known that, but then. I could have also asked more questions in the interview. So certainly I have to own part of that. But yeah, so it's certainly similar, I think, in terms of, you know, how important that, that those honest conversations are. And, and if you get them right, then I think a lot of those, we probably won't see as much of those around Root, you know, particularly because of your philosophy and how we look at interviews and, and how we look at building those relationships with the candidates even before they're here. I think that we're, we're, we're definitely more likely to evolve those, you know, avoid those pitfalls.
0: Yeah, no. I, I'd love to say it was my philosophy, but honestly, it's the organization's <laughs> philosophy. Fair, um, fair, you know, and you know, part that's part of the part of that alignment, right? Like part of that alignment is. Uh, as much as you know I would love to say like yeah it's it's me, you know the organization is already built this way in some respects, and I just happen to very much marry up to it and align to it, which is, makes it so much nicer to to come to work every day when you're that passionate about what you do and the organization the organization's passion, the organization's beliefs align perfectly with your passion and your beliefs that makes it really, really exciting to be able to contribute
1: yeah, that brings it full circle, so yeah. both your personal philosophy and roots you know they, they all come together pretty nicely to kind of develop that execution yeah So you you talked earlier a little bit about kind of the hiring process and maybe let's let's dig a little bit deeper into that topic mm-hmm. and let's talk about maybe you know how you evaluate a candidate that's pretty strong from a technical perspective, but maybe some of the soft skills and kind of what you're looking for aren't exactly up to par and then vice versa with someone has extraordinarily soft skills, but maybe isn't there from a technical perspective and kind of how you you delineate and and how, how does your decision making process kick in there when you're evaluating a candidate that maybe, you know, has half or maybe a little more of what you're looking for and and what are you willing to put up with, so to speak, from from uh, uh, missing pieces? Uh, so really, when I, when I think about how we evaluate candidates, you, you sort of
0: mentioned you mentioned a bunch of stuff there, and to me, like there's two halves uh, of this. There is evaluating functional skill, right? Those are the hard skills. The, you know, how well you can actually bring competency to the role that you're in. And so, for an engineer, that's design, design skills, uh, coding skills, knowing which data structures and algorithms to use and, and when to use them. Good problem solving, uh, you know, skills. Good technical judgment on the right tool for the right job. Uh, And so part of our interview process is really about to evaluate and measure those, those hard skills or those functional skills. And then there's a part that's that's measuring what we call uh, the soft skills or leadership skills. These are the skills that talk about both things that you may have to do in your job to, to, for organizational alignment, but also do you actually have alignment to the broader organizational culture, shared values and beliefs? And, uh, when we, when we bring all those data points together and we evaluate candidates, we do it across all the interview loop. And part of what we're looking for there is, you know, overall strength. Now, you know, it's a little different on the functional skills than it is for leadership skills. So, you know, functional skills, it's really, you know, certain level of role. We expect certain things to be sort of table stakes. And then other things, you know, straight, you may be stronger or weaker in it for a candidate. So uh, a more senior candidate, we expect them to have great problem-solving both skills in problem decomposition skills. Uh, They may have skills of architecting systems at scale. They might have uh, scale at uh, high-intensity processing or back-end processing uh, uh, skills. And they might have done more things with certain languages than others. Point being, we we look for some base level of of, table stakes things for the functional skills, and then we we say, okay, on top of that, pros pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses, and how they weigh out. Same thing on the leadership side. I mean, there's still a level of, based on the level of role that we're looking for, we expect certain table stakes to be there. And then from that, we expect every candidate to have both strengths and weaknesses. Now, there are some things that are tougher to to teach or tougher to coach, especially when you get to more senior roles. You know, uh, some of those are uh, technical judgment uh, or people judgment, you'll call it judgment in general. Like, it's sometimes harder to teach that of somebody. Like, either you have really good judgment or you don't. Uh, Same thing with self-awareness. Like For me, self-awareness is actually a really important one because uh, self-awareness is also a proxy for how well you can both look at yourself, identify your own strengths, weaknesses, and then identify how to improve yourself. Um, And again, for more junior people, that actually isn't unexpected. People are still growing and learning how to be, whether it's engineer, uh, HR, BP, whatever role they have. Um, For those more senior roles, though, you expect somebody who have have had that, and if they don't have that self-awareness, it's really hard to understand how they're going to, both identify their own strengths and weaknesses and continue to, to evolve and grow with them. Um, and so those are the ones that are, I'm a little more leery about if there's weakness, and I don't wanna say they're, they're deal breakers, but they're certainly gonna draw a lot more attention. Otherwise, it becomes sort of a, everyone has strengths and weaknesses and we sort of weigh that out, and then we evaluate the candidate to the bar we're hiring to, and we say, do they have the table stakes things that we expect? Do they, do they raise the raise the bar more, to steal from my previous employer, raise the bar more than they, they lower it, and they're raising it net net across the broader organization, and if the answer is yes, those are the folks we want to hire. And uh, again, like part of that interview process on top of just those evaluating those things, part of that that leadership evaluation isn't just about do they do it well, it's also about how well do they do it aligned to our values and beliefs, right? And, you know, I talked earlier about Uh, Root's philosophy on sort of teamwork and fairness and collaboration and the the greater good, the team good, right, team goals. Uh, I mean, we're all accountable to deliver our own values, but our, our, our own, you know, making sure we're contributing ourselves on an individual basis, but doing so... Without putting ourselves first, like we don't have a lot of people who are working at Root, hardly any that have really sharp elbows, and usually people like that don't last long here. Same thing with you know people that are very political. Again, it's not in our DNA, and th- that those type sort of people actually wind up not lasting very long here. Uh, and so, like, and we get those type of signals from the interview loop where we we recognize this person doesn't own their results, th- is willing to blame others for why they struggled. Um, you know, they, uh, they like to, you know, take credit. Um, they, they don't want to collaborate, you know, those are areas that, um, that becomes a deal breaker for us, but otherwise, and it's just about measuring strength and weakness and, uh, looking for candidates that are gonna help grow the, grow the tapestry and bring diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of experience into our, into our tapestry.
1: And ultimately that's, that's kind of your mechanism to be able to protect that culture and, and that. That way everyone as an individual aligns to this overall culture of Root. And and that's the mechanism that you utilize to to keep that intact in the
0: interview process. Yeah, and honestly, that's the organizational mechanism that we use to to do that. And that is a mechanism in some respects where um, there is no hard formal process. There's no checklist we go through. uh, But it it winds up being a self-reinforcing mechanism in that uh, the people that we wind up hiring here at Root and that stay at Root long term, Wind up valuing those same things. They wind up looking and, and valuing other candidates the same way. Uh, and although we're looking for, like I said, vast differences in experience and differences in, uh, you know, life experience, uh, not just pro- professional experience. We uh, very much value and want to have people that align to that same philosophy of working hard, but having a good work-life balance, co- collaborating, but not being afraid to get in the trenches themselves and own solving a problem. All that stuff
1: makes perfect sense. And- I think that it makes sense. Uh, hiring was definitely focused on you know individuals and people and and kind of how we think about those. But let's take this up to an organizational level. Um, and you mentioned kind of empowerment versus bureaucracy earlier as kind of one of the three tenets. Um, so let's dig a little bit deeper into that and maybe specifically how, how do we balance this this almost unreconcilable excuse me this unreconcilable concept of uh, you know. You've got, you know, bureaucracy on one end, but then, you know, kind of this leave things to the best intentions, leave it to the judgment of an individual. And, and how do you go about managing that um, and, and kind of keeping that process fair?
0: Yeah. No, wow. That's a lot to unpack there. Um, uh, you know, it's, maybe you a step back. Like if you think about when we're talking, like the, the broader topic was scaling an organization for growth. Um Part of that's like, yes, you scale people, you hire more people, you want to hire better people, or at least people that align to the, to the shared values and beliefs. Um, but then when you get a lot more people, how do you still manage that, right? It's it's a lot easier when, you know, the engineering team was 20 or 30 people. Well, you know, a couple of really strong thought leaders can wind up, you know, leading an organization like that and doing it just through sheer willpower, right? And staying connected to every detail in the organization, with, without a, without a ton of effort, you know what's going on where where is happening at the lowest level is literally the front line the engineering level, when you get to an organization that's now you know where we're at which engineering is over a hundred people, uh, I mean we're well on the way to to almost double that in the next twelve months like uh, actually probably over double in the next twelve months like uh, how do we how do we scale and how do we think about um, how do we think about empowering those individuals that we're hiring if we believe we're hiring great great engineers and great engineering leaders, how do we empower them so that we can continue to move as fast as we are, right? And you talked about bureaucracy a little bit in your in your question to me. Like, part of that bureaucracy is, you know, one mechanism is the, the extreme you laid out, like bureaucracy, which I always call stupid process, where, okay, now we're getting so big, every every week you got to do a status report that tells me what you're doing and every uh every day when you go to make a change you gotta have three people look at it and and check a box and sign off that they looked at it and uh if you're gonna do any sort of deployment, you need to go through the twenty step checklist to to make sure it's good like while there're processes that do make sense organizationally uh those processes in some ways breed. Some sort of l- low muscle memory, like they create the the vicious cycle of a, a process that doesn't require a lot of thinking and build a lot of muscle, which then leads to more mistakes or more things that people will second guess, which then leads to more process to, to, to catch those things, which then leads to more people things missed and second guessed, and the cycle continues. And right, the 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 inverse, and we see this with a lot of startups is. You know, move really fast, you know, best intentions, tribal knowledge, um, high, high levels of empowerment. But at some level, that starts breaking down when you're always trusting people to do the right thing. Occasionally, people are people and occasionally they don't do the right thing. And so then the question becomes, well, how do you get the best of both worlds? How do you empower power teams to, to have that same agility they had when they were really small? but then also have the intentionality and have the uh, muscle, if you will, to, to, to catch when things aren't going well and to have some proactive mechanisms to, to be able to identify that. And uh, there's a few ways that I found that work really well. One is, uh, I, 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 and I use the word mechanism very intentionally, it's finding, finding self-reinforcing process that uh, builds muscle in the organization, enforces deeper thinking right and so that may be instead of doing a status update every week it might be every couple weeks doing a deep dive on your group and talking about what you're doing why you're doing it uh, and then managing upward about how that's working right and getting critical questions back on okay have you thought about x have you thought about y right in some ways that's actually happening in that in that very small startup world but it's happening very informally having some more formal met Formal opportunities to do that type of thing, while still empowering those, those smaller teams. Now, instead of the org being small, now your teams are the things that at the right that right sort of grouping level to have that level of ownership on their thing. But then still, they have to. We have this mechanism for understanding what they're doing. Are they aligned to the broader organizational uh, goals and objectives? How are they delivering against their plans? Uh, and if things are off, what are they doing to manage those things? How are they How are they adjusting? Like. Uh, are they off for the right reasons? Sometimes that's very much true. If they're not, well then what are they doing to, to adjust and learn from it and, and to correct it? And uh, those mechanisms that build muscle wind up then creating leaders below who get good at, at understanding the questions that are going to be asked of them, but then also get good at thinking about those things themselves and thinking through them, which then builds muscle on their side. They then work with their teams to do the same thing as the organization grows, they become bigger leaders. They then start asking those questions to their teams, right? asking maybe new questions to their teams. right? It, it keeps this sort of self-reinforcing, self-auditing piece going that, uh, prevents the sort of the dumb process of people doing it just for the sake of doing it. Instead, it's very intentional. Like we do a review every two weeks where uh, HT engineering team and product team come together. Uh, they do they come into a room with myself and our VP of product Mike Panetta, and we literally just talk about where are they at in the roadmap. What have they learned over the last couple of weeks? where are the challenges they're having? Uh, what things are on track, what aren't on track? How are they thinking about their uptre- upcoming roadmap? and we're not telling them per se what to do. We're asking critical questions of why are they doing what they're doing, uh, and then we may have insights or advice, or we may at times give them to guidance of hey, we know we have some different perspective. Let's readjust course because because of a reason here. But it's never about okay, walk us through the checklist of things that you've done. Walk us through the you know did you do these five things? How did you do these five things specifically? Like because that doesn't build muscle. To build muscle is asking those critical questions that. Are dynamic in nature, right? And we talked about the hiring process. Same thing winds up happening, in essence, in that mechanism, right? We have a uh, we have a process, we a high level process we follow for interviewing, but then the questions the interviewers come up with themselves, and they they keep consistent across interviewers uh, interviews, but they try to make that dialogue really rich with the candidate, uh, and really ask a lot of good questions of the candidate, and then we. Uh, come together afterwards and debrief, and then we have discussion amongst the panel, not just about the candidate, but sometimes about the questions we ask the candidate, about the answers we got from the candidate, how can we do that better, right? The loop, the room seeing that, that that debrief loop, winds up, in, there's newer interviewers on that loop, they start building their muscle on, okay, how do we think about interviewing here at Root? How do I ask better questions of when, I'm, when, I'm in, when I'm doing that? How do I get better data to bring to the to debrief? Uh, and then they then build muscle and come back without a process of, when you do an interview, you do these five questions, you follow this exact process, you come back and you you give this specific answer, right? Like that doesn't build any muscle, muscle in, in that world. So for us, it's really about those muscle building mechanisms, whether it's on the product delivery side, engineering delivery side, whether it's in a design side of how do we have design reviews and, and have critical questions come from that design review process. a PR review, same deal. It's not about the check these five boxes, it's about give a PR, get good feedback on PR, make sure you're getting PR feedback. But the shape of that feedback can be freeform, based on the problem, based on what the team wants to give, and then on the uh, you know on the interview side, the the process of actually finding great great candidates too.
1: Right on. And so earlier you were mentioning kind of having those discussions with associates and asking those questions and those dynamic conversations. Mm-hmm. How do you go about kind of getting that dynamic? Because I'm, I'm hearing a lot of you, you want you want there's trust, but you also want to verify because you want to stay close to the detail and build those those muscles up. Maybe talk about how how you have those conversations with associates and and kind of you know, almost build that credibility. You know, to to walk that line between micromanaging and and versus like I'm adding value to you in in the conversation.
0: Yeah, and so. It, it starts by you know initial expectation setting right so well let's use an example we're both familiar with like you know you're leading a pretty big project for us right now here at root on the the financial accounting side you know looking at our processes and improving them uh, and also some some infrastructure improvements on our actual accounting software and uh you know when you came in we we sort of talked about the, the current landscape of the world we talked about the, the the high level planning of things we wanted to tackle you, you worked on prioritizing those. We reviewed those together, uh, and then it's sort of flipping from me sort of educating you on what things were to eventually saying, okay, I, I, here's the five things I want you to go figure out. Go figure out the the timeline of what we're trying to execute on the, the top two priorities that we want to deliver. Uh, is there a way for us to? Uh, we had like a dependency on you know a phase one, phase two piece like. Is there a way for us to accelerate getting the answers that we need in phase one to inform the timeline of phase two? Not exactly what we're doing in phase two, but the rough timeline and shape of phase two. Um, And, you know, I want to understand, like, how do we put a a reoccurring mechanism in place so that... Uh, more so for our finance partners, that they can stay in the loop of where that project is. And we were inevitably gonna find some things and discover some things earlier in the cycle of phase one that we're gonna potentially shift our thinking in, in both phase one and phase two. How do we make sure we're closing the loop and re, you know setting expectations appropriately with those stakeholders? Um, but then at that point, like it completely shifted. And then I moved into that trust but verify model. If I trusted, uh, because you'd earned that trust, that you were gonna uh, go and run those things down, and you did, and then I had some verification mechanisms. Every so often, we would come back together And you would re-educate me on what you learned, the current plan, right? And I'd ask critical questions of, okay, have you thought about, uh, some of these detailed work streams and how are you thinking about managing the dependencies of those? And, um, Hey, we are working with a third party vendor on something like how, how are we managing that? And how do we make sure that we're getting the right value from them? And, you know, and then you took that ball and then you ran with it, but then that kept evolving to the point now where you're literally managing up to me and you're, you're, you're telling me your plan and how you're executing it and how you're thinking about it and the partners you're working with. And, uh, which ranges from our CFO down to, you know, basic accounting managers and, uh, and then I'm asking questions more than actually giving direction at that point where I'm, you know, my perspective of the organization, I'm sharing, hey, have you thought about X and Y and uh, how are you managing this risk? It sounds like you have a risk over here, right? But That's a that's a much different verification model, if you will, than me micromanaging you and say, okay, what did you do this week? What did you get done? What's going? What are you going to do next week? Uh, who are you talking to? Um, every email you send, make sure you include me on it, right? Like. I think I see every five, right? Every fiftieth email you send, you know, on some topic, I may get included on for some weird reason. Um, but most of the stuff you do on your own, right? And then I just verify it afterwards, and we talk about it in, the, in that verification. And it becomes because of you have all your ducks in a row. I have to do less and less verification because I can trust. Like I know you, and you're managing up to me because you know what I already expect, right? Um, there's the other thing. The flip of that would be, yeah. Uh, Imagine, imagine some alternate reality, Jason Berwanger, that I uh, joined Root and I laid these expectations out and I checked in the first time and it was a hot mess and the, our, my, our, our partners were completely out of loop what was going on. And they were frustrated working with you and uh, I asked about the plans of what we're doing with this third party and you had no data to show for it, right? Like, well, now I'm going to get even closer to you because I want to support you and I'm going to start asking more poignant questions and maybe getting more prescriptive about what to do next to try to set you up and get you, give you some traction, right? And so it allows it allows me as a leader to shift up and down where necessary and, and you know, get higher and, and give broader perspective and broader guidance when somebody's actually managing up and almost like a board of directors mode, but then when necessary shift down and get more deeper into the, the actual tactical delivery day to day when somebody's struggling, for example,
1: and it makes perfect sense, and that, that's a data point for me to be wary of any meeting with you because over thirty <laughs> minutes. Yeah, anything over thirty minutes, I should be concerned yeah. the <laughs> questions are very poignant at that point. Yeah, no, I mean,
0: I, honestly, <laughs> I, I, in, in all all cases, even when you know somebody is, uh, you know, when I have to do a deeper level of you know d- deep dive with a with a uh, employee, whether it's software engineering manager or even an engineer for that matter, um, a lot of times that's just broad curiosity, right? As an engineer, like sometimes I'm just really curious. Um, uh, sometimes though, it's really about like, hey, like, there, you're, you know, if somebody's struggling, part of the role as a leader is to help that person. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll draw our org chart. Uh, and this I stole this from Home Depot uh, so I'll give them credit. Uh, the inverted pyramid org chart, which is you know your, your, your engineers at the very top of the organization or your frontline you know customer service reps you not think of it and then uh, underneath is your, your leadership team and as you know the more senior leaders are at toward the very bottom and the idea there uh, is that you know you're supporting the people actually getting the stuff done and your role as a leader is to be a servant leader in some respects it's to enable those people to do their best work, to give them guidance, to give them advice, to give them direction when necessary. And, and when somebody's really struggling to help and part of that help sometimes is actually getting into the trenches with them and helping do the job and understand and, and appreciate the job and uh, help give perspective of how to how to maybe do the job better so that then you can set them up well for success because ultimately I want every one of those people to be the next leader to be the next VP of engineering here at Root so that we can continue to grow our org long term and that's really one of the key strategies that growth have to be about building the right mechanisms that allow the organization to keep scaling, to empower the smart people that we're hiring, to let them go do the work that we pay them to do and that bring the level of, of thoughtfulness to that that, that we, we believe they can, and then to ultimately give them the opportunities to keep stretching and growing themselves both as contributors and as leaders to eventually become even bigger contributors and leaders long term.
1: And, and as an individual in context, I look at that and think, you know, I, we have a lot of trust, and so therefore, I'm I'm willing to do the right thing. But I also know that if, if there were mistakes made, that you know there's coaching and support there, and I think that that empowerment is what allows us to move as fast as we do.
0: Yeah, and I think you know one of the things that you know I, I will credit to my last employer, at Amazon, that I, I learned really deeply is uh, when you're identifying you know where to run really fast and how to teach people where to run really fast versus to be more thoughtful is are you running through a one way door or a two way door? Right, one way doors. You can go one way really easily, going back is really, really painful and hard. Uh, and you have to be really thoughtful about those. In those cases, it helps to have you know a, a, a higher level perspective brought into the room to say, here's the decision I think I wanna make, here's why I wanna make it, here are the pros and cons. But I'd love, you know, more senior leader. I'd love your guidance and feedback on, am I thinking about this well? And is there an angle about this I'm not thinking about or appreciating? Or something bigger strategically that I should, it's not in my calculus, it should be. Uh, and then there's 2 A doors that are really easy to run through, really easy to run back. And in which case, like, we should empower people to go as fast as possible, try things, iterate, experiment, uh, and and execute uh and if they're wrong well then it's easy to fix it's easy and so you give people autonomy in those especially in those scenarios because you want them to go and be the leaders that we hired them to be and you want them to make you know try things and learn and I look back in my career and those are the, th- the ways I learned the most was sometimes on my failures and you know not everything was always roses and through those failures you sort of grow and if in an organization that doesn't give people the opportunity to do that if you're just told what to do and you have to do it like a it's unsatisfying in my opinion more importantly though it doesn't build that muscle that our organization we need to be building long term
1: it makes perfect sense so you talked a little bit about muscle and mechanisms and, and maybe let's dive a little bit deeper into that topic. Um, specifically around, you know, when companies accumulate technical debt and there's this idea of entropy where things are kind of spinning out of control. You know, talk me through what are the mechanisms that you like to put in place in almost as anti-entropy mechanisms, so to speak, in an organization.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it really gets back to this trust but verify mechanisms, you know, ultimately Part of the the self-reinforcing mechanism, the anti-entropy mechanism, needs to be that uh, there is a, a deterrent for it to decay, right? And so, when our hiring process, if we're if we're holding the right bar, especially on the culture elements of what our shared values and beliefs are, the, the natural muscle is going to be the the. The form that we've created here at Root and that that shape of uh, of that culture is gonna naturally resist the change of trying to shift the culture, right? And so that's gonna be itself a bit of an anti-entry mechanism. The trust but verify components of both how we think about, uh, we'll call it uh, execution, project delivery, experimentation, whatever bucket you want to lump into that, um, that's a mechanism that allows both the flexibility and, and autonomy to go try things and to take initiative and go, but yet also have the the, the, the back pressure of having then to then answer critical questions on that. And uh, when you can't answer those critical questions, then it drives deeper questions, which then uh, one or two things happen. Either somebody chooses that they don't like that type of environment, they you know don't like that level of, uh, we'll call it auditing, or they build muscle that they, they then... Uh, get really smart about how they operate in that environment. And that by itself then creates the, Uh, Deterrent for for decay. And I think the ultimate one is just like avoiding dumb process. Like, I think if I look at organizations, especially technical ones, though, you know, outside of just technical debt, you know, I look at organizational debt in some respects as the the biggest hindrance where things grow because you don't trust the people below you, or at some point you get to a scale where you don't trust the organization to do the right thing. You then start creating these sort of checks in place that say, okay, well, if somebody we do trust has to approve, quote unquote, and I'm, I'm doing my air quotes here in the microphone. Um, With the idea being that because we don't trust you, you must get somebody else to approve, which then immediately slows things down, right? And you get to a point where, I won't name any names, but you can look at bigger organizations that move like glaciers. And part of the problem there is they're literally moving like that because they can't trust people at lower levels to make the right decision. They have no mechanism to manage and audit if they are or not. And the only way they have to do that is by like punting decisions into the clouds. You know, some bigger leader somewhere off in the distance eventually making a call and it coming back down. Or the opposite of that is uh, the groupthink scenario where the only way we can make a decision if we get 30 people in the room and we all lock hands and we all agree because that's really safe and we don't have to worry about being wrong and then we make the decision. Otherwise, we sort of stay in analysis paralysis and we don't make a decision. Like. Uh, I think as an as a organization, we want to avoid both those. And that, those are the entropies that can catch you. The anti-entropy mechanisms, how do we make sure that people are empowered at the lowest levels to make decisions? How do we have the mechanisms in place to audit those decisions and to trust but verify? Operate almost like a board of directors at every level of our organization, managing the people below us, but supporting the people below us with great insights and, and guidance in coaching and mentorship and development. Uh, and then ultimately uh, allowing the organization to grow and scale by leveraging those leaders as the next leaders who are then going to develop the next thing below them and the, the cycle continues.
1: And that's perfect, and I think that's a, that's a great... Um... <laughs> Great insight into you know kind of how to develop those those scales when we're at a place that root that is you know a few hundred employees a few months ago and you know scaling up to probably a thousand by the end of the year and and how to manage that exponential growth and that's not a, that's not a problem that a lot of folks have had to put a lot of thought into yeah um, but with that let's pivot and I think we touched on this a little bit but let's pivot into you know kind of that third piece which is the the talent management piece. You know, so, we, we've got a great organization with the right muscle and there's no dumb processes. We hired the right people. Now, how do we keep them?
0: Yeah, I mean, so we, we talked a bit about the, the, the making sure you're empowering people to make great decisions. That's, I think, the step one of talent management in general, right? Is like giving people the opportunity to grow and to flourish. Um, it's super easy to hire somebody really smart. Uh, and then give them something really dumb to do, and say, "We'll just execute my vision. Go, go, and do." Um, it's actually much harder to say, "I'm gonna hire a smart person." Now, I'm gonna take hands off the wheel a bit here. Like, I'll, I'll still occasionally come back, and make sure the wheel's going in the right direction. But I'm gonna really take the hands off the wheel and let you go and run and drive. Um, like, that's that's step one, in my opinion, of talent management. Step two is then, what are the mechanisms we have to make sure that we're doing? the right things by our talent, right? And we talked about some processes earlier. And I, I really index more of my conversation around delivery, hiring. Right? But there's another process, which is talent management. How do you make sure people are going to cure the right coaching, right? And that coaching can be like you know a developmental coaching of helping people grow, right? Helping them double down on their strengths. Sometimes helping them close weaknesses. But then also recognizing that because people are individuals and everyone's different, Everyone's not going to have the same strengths, everyone's not going to have the same weaknesses, and not over-indexing on every leader needs to be Bill Caper or Jason Berwanger and, and and have the same strengths that Bill Caper has and the same strengths that Jason Berwanger has or, or the same and, and not have any weaknesses, right? Like I have weaknesses, you have weaknesses, uh, our leadership team has weaknesses, and uh, there are different weaknesses and different strengths, frankly. And part of that is like how do we make sure that as we're thinking about our talent base that we're uh, – recognizing and celebrating the the diversity of strengths across them. Celebrating in some respects in recognizing the diversity of weaknesses because my strength can be your weakness and we can sort of complement one another and fill the gaps um, But then when when are truly weaknesses that are deficiencies that are hindering the team or hindering that person's really long-term Growth or viability at the company. How do we how do we coach them uh, and give them great guidance and support? That's that's not just you're doing you're doing it wrong do it better, but it's empathetic that is specific that is uh that is actionable, right? Like, and uh, and then ultimately, how do we how do we help them figure out th- those individuals? How do we help them figure out the path that they're going to take to be successful long term? And sometimes, you know, as much as we want to be empathetic and help people, occasionally that means it's not going to be the right fit here at Root. And how do we how do we have the right conversation with those individuals that is supportive, that is empathetic, but also uh, that is honest, right? Because ultimately, we talked at the very beginning about being honest. Um, that talent management process has to be started and stopped in honesty. Um, and if it's not, like it's going to fail in my opinion. like It will inevitably at some scale, at some point in time, become perverted and fail. And if it is honest, if it's focused on those right things, well then it becomes a great sort of reinforcing mechanism, anti-entropy mechanism, because like you're going to be always driving the right conversations with the right talent uh, and helping people grow. I think there's another piece, which we talked about dumb process, that, uh, is about like how do you how do you calibrate across an organization with talent, uh, and I think it's super easy at some point of scale to get to a world where. Um, you over index on percentages and numbers and, you know, you stat, you know, rank, you know, yank and rank or whatever, you know, the stack ranking stuff. And, um, and I think that, that can, you know, although it may start from a place of anti entropy, wind up being a place of dumb process, right? Where people manage to the process instead of managing to the outcomes, uh, and, you know it's one of the things i'm really proud of here at root like we do things intentionally about the people and we will have hard conversations as a leadership team and we will talk to individuals to be honest about performance and help people develop and we're always transparent like we well we're always honest and we try to be as transparent as possible with if you're if you want to get to the next level, here's what that looks like. Here are the gaps we see in you. That's not a secret. Here's how we're going to help you close those gaps and then work together to close them. If it's somebody struggling, well, then it's about okay. Here's what here's why here's where that is manifesting itself in, in a performance that's unacceptable. Um, we want to help. Is there something impacting that externally that we can help with? Uh, if it's nothing externally impacting and it's Really, just a struggle here at, at aligning to what our expectations are. Well, then, how do we help close those gaps and deficiencies? And then, ultimately, if it's uh, if it's something that we can't close and it's not the right fit, well, how do we empathetically have a conversation that says, "How do we help you find whatever is right for you, either here at Root, maybe in a different role, or somewhere else?" And uh, that that to me is something that's super important in that whole anti entropy discussion because then what what happens is you it forces you as Versus the leadership team to have those hard conversations, but then ultimately make the right decisions on an individual by individual basis, versus saying, well, we have X percentage population of employee, and thus we should have X percentage of people that are top performers and X percentage that are bad. And okay, well, I need to have X percentage that are bad, so I'm gonna make my model fit that I have X percentage of bad. Like instead of saying, well, no, no, I have individual A, individual B, individual C, they're all different. And much like we talk about car insurance, where we talk about fairness, like in fairness, because we we value the telematics of how you drive uh, as a predictive uh, predictive uh, uh, piece of predictive analytics of how you, well of a risk you are. Um, and you know, people that have strong strong telematic scores uh, have less risk. People that you know, I may be one of those people who knows that just you know hard braking, distracted driving, driving long distances, you know, erratic driving, passing my phone around the car, like. Um, I may not be a good risk. Well, I think the same thing holds true. Like if we if we want to treat employees fairly, well, then we should value each employee individually, coach each employee individually, help manage them individually, and then manage the outcomes on an aggregate basis based on the outcomes of the individual, not simply force a curve on, I want to get to this outcome, thus I will treat people, people this way. And I think that aligns to our, our broader concept of fairness, like how we think about it for our customers and ultimately how we think about it for our employees.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. And it, you really get the sense that those... Concepts of honesty and fairness, you know, from a cultural perspective, you know, in the hiring process, you know, in our business model, and all the way through into how we manage talent. And even if an associate maybe isn't a fit, honesty and fairness are, are still coming to play. You know, up to the point where you know we know that it's not a fit, um, and, I, and I think that's a pretty great concept that you know highlights all of those tactical levels, but also uh, you know what the culture here is at root.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think when I wish I could take credit for it, but I mean, honestly, this started with you know our, our CEO Alex, our CTO uh, Dan Mangus, and all the early engineers at Root. When I think about engineering in particular, all the early engineers at Root, like both the concept of fairness, the concept of uh, teamwork, the concept of uh, thinking big and delivering incrementally, and but not making bad sacrifices in terms of architecture or in uh, you know, uh, in terms of the people we hire, like holding a high hiring bar and being consistent with holding a high hiring bar. Like uh, for me, like although I I feel like I I very much uh, have those beliefs and I've you know maybe helped double down on them in my time here at Root. Like it's more about like the reason I'm here at Root is because I saw that already and it was very much aligned to my interest and like. As a as a candidate who became an employee, it was very much because I believed in that that mission. I believed in the mission about fairness in the in the insurance industry. I also believed in about how they thought about the employees, how the, the engineering culture thought about itself, and uh, the way we built and, and built uh, software and it really treated our, our engineering team as a first class citizen and building and innovating in the insurance space. All that came together. Um, but then also in the talent in the talent process, like thinking about people and how we think about and manage people, like. As much as I would love to take credit for it, it was here at Root from day one, and it's just now continuing to evolve as we're growing bigger as a company, and we're putting more shape and definition to those things that are already here.
1: You mentioned earlier um, the you know being empathetic and and empathy, and maybe talk a little bit deeper about how how you hold this high bar in terms of performance, but at the same time making sure that you know we're empathetic to the associate or the employee, and making sure that we're you know being fair to them. Um, in, in other words, like, how do, we, how do we stay motivated, but at the same time, you know, stay close to the associates in terms of their weaknesses and help them to grow?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think when we started the conversation, we, we talked about honesty in the conversation, right? And that, that, that empathy, I think, uh, part of empathy isn't just about caring, which is certainly, that is a component, don't get me wrong, but it's not just about caring. It's, I think empathy, to an extent, is about understanding. I, I deeply believe it's about honesty, Right, and if you're seeking truth, seeking, you're you're honestly you want to understand first before you need to be understood before you're, you want to be understood. But then more importantly, you want to be honest about both what you're seeing and what you expect, and making that a two-way dialogue. And I think with that, then I think that then breeds empathy because now you're you're together working on how to make that a a better situation. And sometimes it's, you know, we're, uh, we're maybe over-indexing a bit the conversation around, you know, performers that may be struggling, right? But sometimes it's about growth, right? Like I wanna, I wanna grow into becoming a, a manager, a director, a VP, whatever it may be, but I'm not there yet. What do I need to do to get there, right? And and I'm frustrated, I'm not there, right? Like, and there's a component of that conversation it has to start with empathy and understanding. It has to be an honest dialogue back and forth about the gaps that we see in a conversation where there is a discussion of helping align those what's what the person you know the person who wants that feels and what the 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 maybe the manager is seeing. Uh, but then it needs to be honest, right? And it needs to be actionable. It needs to be here's the, where the gaps are. Let's work together, to close those gaps. And sometimes it's an honest conversation of look, you, I, I, I personally was never good at uh, at you know throwing a football. Like I was great, I could throw a football, don't get me wrong, but I was never the quarterback. I was always a great receiver when we played backyard football. Never so much a quarterback. Like I was very inconsistent with my throwing, and like I knew I was never going to be a NFL quarterback. Like I could have wanted that my, my really really badly in my life, but it, it would have never happened. And if I would have wanted it and wanted to drove, I, somebody would have had to have told me at some point, hey Bill, your strengths really align to being a wide receiver, not a quarterback. Um, same thing in, in, in here at root. Like I, I am very much an engineering mindset, very analytical, very, uh, very tangible, uh, practical, right. I, I creative person. I am not right. As you can see by my outfit, creative, I am not uh, stylish. I am not. And uh, I might've wanted to be the, the creative director for a company, right? Like somebody would have said, Hey, you can want that. You can strive for it. You can go for it. Um, but that's not what your strengths are. I'm happy to you to get there, but understand it's a much bigger gap in Delta than where your strengths actually align to, which is problem solving, engineering, analytical stuff. Uh, And then that honest dialogue of, okay, if you really wanna be a creative director, here's all the, here's the gaps and how we're gonna try to help you get there, and it's gonna be a long road. Uh, Or, okay, if you wanna be an engineering leader, here are the gaps there, and there's still some, like, let's help you close those. And uh, I don't know, to me, like that honest empathy two-way conversation is really important to help foster that.
1: And then you're helping the individual to acknowledge things about themselves through the conversation and then you give that outsider's perspective. So they're, they're able to grow as an individual. And I think that as an individual who gets that feedback, that that's invaluable, those conversations to get that feedback so that way we can incrementally grow as people.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great point. Like, honestly, there is a, there is a technique of, uh, Basically it's an act active listening where you know you part of that way you help to guide that journey isn't just about telling. You're also asking really curious questions and critical not critical questions, very curious questions, very leading questions at times not to drive an outcome, but to drive somebody to ask themselves the right questions and then drive the outcome. And uh, ultimately, as a leader, that's your job is to help in terms of talent management, is to help people grow and also discover things about themselves, strengths, you know, weaknesses, how to double down on the strengths, how to maybe minimize the weaknesses, or grow so those weaknesses aren't as big of weaknesses. Um, and sometimes it's about helping identify, help the person see their own weaknesses, right? And in my example, Bill, like, you know, you, you want to be a creative director, but you know, is styling your thing? Like, do you enjoy that every day? And and why do you wanna be a creative director, right? And ask those questions would then lead me to say like, well, I, I, I like to I like to build things, I like to see it in a customer's hands and then enjoy using it. Well, you can do that without being a creative director. Have you ever thought about like, what about that, that building really excites you, right? And I would answer differently and I'd say, well, it's about the tangible, them getting some of their hands. Well, do you have to design it to get the, the visual design of getting it in their hands? Well, I guess not. No, I can build the thing. And okay, well, so you really care more about building things then, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I do care about building things. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm already convincing myself that I really should be focused on building, not so much designing in the sense of creatively designing.
1: Yeah, help them the introspective exercise to really help the questions really lead them to that point. Exactly, exactly. And the, folks can see this, but I think I figured out why you couldn't be a QB. You're six two, but you have the hands of someone who's at least seven two. I'm looking at Kevin Durant. <laughs> there, so, yeah. yeah, well, that I, might be part of the problem.
0: Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. it could, it could very easily be that.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, we covered a lot of broad topics today here and and really dug into some, um, definitely the kind of the philosophy of, of how to scale an organization, you know, both at an individual level um, and kind of at the organizational level. And then, you know, how do you, how do you keep the right folks and keep the organization humming long term to keep the right people and, and keep them doing what they should be doing with the organization? Um, Bill, thanks for coming today. Great conversation. Really enjoyed it and and appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, thank you, Jason. I, I, it was uh, really interesting to be able to talk through all that and share it. And uh, thanks for having me.
1: Definitely. This will be the first of uh, many Root Engineering podcasts, and we look forward to the future. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to the Engineering at Root podcast. Learn more about Root Insurance at joinroot.com and see open engineering positions at root.engineering.